Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Last week, we started with the Laodicea church. It's the last of the churches of Asia Minor, the Revelation. It's the seventh of the church's church age. It's the age we live in right now. And the Laodicean church is the church of the lukewarm state, a lukewarm church. And we talked about that. We talked about Jesus identified who he was. He was the faithful witness. He's the rightful judge. He's the sovereign God. He's the creator of all things. And therefore, whenever he gives a witness, it's settled. And his witness to the Laodicean church is that you are lukewarm. You're neither hot nor you cold, but you're lukewarm. And because you're not hot or cold, but lukewarm, I want to spew you, spit you out of my mouth. He said, I would rather that you be hot or cold. I certainly want you to be passionate. I'd want you to be hot and have a hot heart towards me and passion towards me. But I would rather that you'd be cold and not not have a relationship with me and not pretend to have a relationship with me and therefore be in a state where you could be touched by the grace of God and the mercy of God and be saved. But when you're in that lukewarm state, in that lukewarm state, it's so dangerous because you're just religious enough and seem to be moral enough or right enough that, that you're in a dangerous state that you might not ever get saved. And, you, and you're dealing with other people who are lukewarm, who are believers, who are in that lukewarm state. So you don't understand what a Christian life, a passionate Christian life is supposed to be all about. So really what Jesus is doing in the church, he's calling us from being lukewarm to becoming passionate in our heart towards God. The greatest thing that the church does in kingdom expansion and reaching people for Christ is to be a church that's in love with Jesus. Amen. That's in love with Jesus, that cares about Jesus, that he's the first and foremost of their life. And that everybody who meets them knows that Jesus is the most important thing in their life. That's the greatest thing the church can do to bring other people to Christ. Jesus and the Holy Spirit does everything else. All we have to do is be in love with Jesus and passionate towards him. But he says in the Laodicean age, which we're in right now, the last stage before the coming of Jesus Christ, he said the Laodicean age is that age of being lukewarm. And it's that tendency to be lukewarm. And we have to fight that. We have to fight it as a church. We have to fight it as individuals. We have to be able to resist that because that's the state that is the natural state of our day. And we don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be hot for Christ. Amen. So he told them that they were lukewarm. And then he shares, and this is what we pick up today, why they are lukewarm. That's the question. Why is the Laodicean church lukewarm? So let's look at that. And then he tells them his position towards them and how he feels about them. Then he invites them by invitation to come and to let him meet their need. And then he gives to them a glorious promise. So we want to see those things today here in Revelation chapter 3. I want to begin reading in verse 17. This is the why. Circle this word because you are lukewarm because because what? Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you 
to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Now, please leave your Bibles open as we look at at this passage today. The first thing, very plainly, he says, you want to know why you're lukewarm? I'll tell you, this is why you're lukewarm. Because, because you say something. You say something about your life. You feel something about your life. You believe something about your life that's not really who you are. But that's what you say. That's what you're believing. He says, what you're saying is this, I am rich. Number one, I am rich. Secondly, I become wealthy and I don't need any goods or anything from anybody else. And I have absolutely three, need for nothing. I don't have a need for anything. Now, if you want to put all of those words in one summation, this is their problem. They had a problem with sinful pride. Sinful pride. What is sinful pride? Sinful pride is all about the big I. It's all about the big I. P-R capital I-D-E. Pride is right in the middle. And pride is all about self. And what they have looked around and they've looked at themselves, they said, as far as we're concerned and what we see, we are rich and we don't need a thing. We're wealthy and have all the possession could be and everything. We don't need anything. We need nothing at all. We can take care of our own needs. We don't have any need. We take care of And one of the one of the characteristics of sinful pride is that you do not realize that you have a need. The second characteristic is that if you ever realize you have a need, you think you can meet your own need. And that's exactly what this church is doing. That's exactly what Laodicean church is. I don't have a need. And if I do have a need, I can meet my own need. Everything that I need, I can take care of it. Now, do you know, you know what that's called? That's called humanism, right? Humanism. A few years ago, that was a big word or a big phrase, secular humanism. There's secular, secular humanism has been since the beginning of time. What humanism is, is the belief that I'm really my own God. I can determine, I'll take care of myself, and I don't need anybody, anything, and I don't need God. I can do everything I need for myself. And I happen to know better about what's good for me than this person called God. You know why it started from the beginning? Because God said, you can eat of all the trees of the garden, all the fruit of the garden, except one thing. You cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But old Satan came along as a serpent and told him, listen, God's trying to keep something from you. And they thought, and Eve looked and said, that's pretty nice looking fruit, and I'd like to kind of taste it. And she thought, I know better about my life and what I need than God knows. 
I know better about my life than what God knows. And so I'm going to take and eat of that. And it brought sin into the world. That pride, that feeling like I know more than what God knows, brought sin into the world. That's the reason that Lucifer became Satan. Because he wanted to do what he did. And he wanted to be the big I instead of God. And he thought he knew more than God. And he rebelled and a third of the angels fell with him. Every person that sins, our sin is birthed out of pride. That we think we know better than what the Word of God says. We think we know better than what Mom and Daddy says. We think we know better because we feel like we have that ability to make those decisions. That's called humanism. And it's the idea, I don't need anything. I'm rich. I'm wealthy. I don't need anybody. Don't need anything. Don't need God. That's what they said. That's what they said. That's what they saw. That's what they believed. But then God says, and Jesus says, what they're really like. Look at that there in verse 17. And you do not know that you are wretched and poor and blind and naked. He just counteracts everything that that they said. (laughs) They said we're rich. He said they were poor. They said they were wealthy and had all goods. He says you were wretched (laughs) and miserable. That they said, we, we don't have need of anything. And he says, you are blind and you are naked. So here is what the church was saying. Here's what the people were saying. And this is what God was saying. They said, everything is wonderful and we're fine. And God says, you've got all kinds of needs in your life. Now, let me ask you a question. Who knows best which one of those is true? What God said, right? What God said is always true. He's truthful towards us. He's honest towards us. And so when he says they are this way, that's the way they were. But they cannot see it. They can't see it. They, they're not saying it because of pride. For see, pride changes the way you see things. Did you know that in Proverbs 6, I believe it's verse 17, write that down. In Proverbs 6, verse 17, it says that there are six things on the earth that God hates. That's the strongest word in the Hebrew language. Yes, seven that God hates. And the first thing that God says he hates, it says, is a haughty eye or a prideful look. Now, a haughty eye, that doesn't mean you're walking around looking with your eye a certain way. A haughty eye means that whenever pride comes into your life, it changes what you see. It changes how you see things. It changes how you see you. And the problem with Laodicean church in their pride, feeling like they don't need anything, they're seeing themselves totally different than what God sees them whenever he says you have all kind of need. Pride changes the way you see yourself and you see things. And because pride had crept into this church, because pride had crept in, they'd become lukewarm. They didn't seek after God. They didn't need God. They didn't seek after God because they they felt like they had everything that they wanted, everything they had. They didn't need God. And therefore, they're living on their own, and they're living in a lukewarm state. Now, if you were God, and you had redeemed these people and saved these people... And, and sent your son to die on a cross for them, and they think that they've got everything in the world and they don't need you anymore, how would you respond to them? 
How would you feel about them? Well, it's a good thing I'm not God because I'd zap them, wouldn't you? I mean, I'm, I'd just zap them. But I'm glad I'm not God because I'd have been the first one to get zapped. Right? But, I mean, here's, here's the God who redeems them, saves them, sends the Son for them, and, and they don't act like they need God at all. They're fine without God. They're lukewarm. They don't really have a love for God like they ought to. But how does Jesus say that he feels about them? Look at, look at what it says in verse 19. He says this. Those whom I, you need to circle this word, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. What did he say about this church? The first thing he says, those whom I love. Even though the Laodicean church is lukewarm, even though he says, I want to spew you out of my mouth because of that lukewarmness and that pride in your heart, he says, I cannot help myself. I love you. I love you. And even when you're in the, the most lukewarm state that you could possibly be in, and your pride keeps you away from God, and you're at a distance from the Lord who loves you and died for you, even in that state, his response to you is he loves you. He loves you. He loves you eternally. He can't help but love you. That's the love, the unconditional, eternal love of God. He loves us. But he says, but because I love you, he says, I will what? Look at it. Those that I love, I will reprove and I will discipline. My friend, if you can live in a lukewarm state and if you can live away from God and you don't ever experience the discipline of God, you better check out and make sure you got a relationship with God. Because I'm here to tell you, I have a relationship with God and whenever I get into that lukewarm state or I get away from God, my Heavenly Father certainly knows how to discipline me. He certainly knows how to reprove me. He does not discipline me because He dislikes me. He disciplines me because He loves me. He is reproving me, correcting me, helping me to be what I ought to be. And all of that is because he loves me. Just like you do with your children if you're a parent. If you're a parent, isn't that what you do with your children? You correct your children. Do you get up in the morning and say, boy, I sure hope they're bad today so that I can get on them today. That'll make my day if I can really tear them up today. I hope they, is that what you think? No. If you do, you need to go see a a psychologist somewhere, because that's not, that's not what we feel. We are, we're getting up in the morning and saying, boy, I hope my children are obedient today. I hope, hope they have a great day today. But whenever they're not, what do we have to do? Not because we want to, but because we love them and we know we need to, we correct them and we discipline them. And Jesus said, listen, if you're in that lukewarm state and I were not disciplining you and reproving you, then you would question my love for you. But I love you this much. I'm not going to let you be mediocre I love you enough, I'm not going to let you stay in that state that's lukewarm. I love you enough that I'm going to push you towards having a hot heart towards me, falling in love with me again. I'm going to love you that much. And he tells him, he says, therefore, be zealous, therefore, and repent. He says, all I want from you to do is just change your mind. Instead of being satisfied with a lukewarm heart, instead of thinking you got everything you need, look around and see what you need and let me meet that need in your life. Let me change you. But you're going to have to be willing to repent. If you'll repent, I will pour my blessings upon you. And I want you to because I love you. And he says, 
I know what's best for you. I know what's best for you. And he does. And Almighty God knows what's best for us far more than we do. And so that's why you go back up in verse 18. He says, this is my advice to you. This is what I want to do. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich. You know what the gold he's talking about there? He's talking about the gold that is not material gold that buys material possessions. But he's talking about the gold refined by fire that is the spiritual gold and the spiritual blessings. You remember when he told Smyrna, that church that had very little and was in persecution, it says, you are poor and have nothing, but you are really rich. You remember when he said that? You're really rich because you're rich towards the things of God. And what he's saying to the Laodicean church, listen, you need to find that kind of gold, that gold that's refined by fire, by persecution, by testing. You need to find that kind of gold that I'll give to you where it's really rich because whenever the end time comes, the gold you hold in your hand, that gold that is so precious to everybody today, it will all be gone and you will not carry it with you. But what will matter to you is the gold that's been refined by fire that's a part of your soul and your spirit. And he said, that's what you really need. You let, let me give you that gold that's been refined by fire. He goes on and says, and I not only suggest that, he says, I suggest that you get a white garment that you may clothe yourself, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. He loves white, doesn't he? Remember, his army's coming in white. He's coming in white. We're coming on white horses. He likes white. And he says, I want you to put garments of white on. And that's Garments of purity, garments of holiness, garments that says you're his, you're identified with him. Put those things on that you would not be naked and that you'll not reveal the shame of your nakedness. He goes on and says this. And the last thing, I recommend you get some eye salve. <laughs> I recommend you get some eye salve to anoint your eyes, to, to put in your eyes because this eye salve will, will help you to be able to see. Where you can't see and you're seeing the wrong thing right now. And pride causes you to see the wrong thing right now. Listen, I want you to put this spiritual eye salve on and you'll see the real thing. You'll see what I see. I'll help you with that. And he says, this is what I advise to you. I advise you to get all of those things I have. I have them for you. I have everything you need. Just write this down in your notes today if you're taking notes. There's not one thing that you need today or you will ever need in your life that Jesus doesn't have amply supplied, all right? Now, I know sometimes we're running around saying, help me, Lord, help me because I, I have this need and I need for you to create the supply. You don't have to pray for him to create the supply. He's already got the supply. God already had the supply for you ever had the need. There's not one thing you face in your life that he doesn't have for you right now. Whatever it might be, in whatever realm it might be. He already has it for you. And he loves you enough he wants to give it to you. All you have to do is to be repent, repent of your pride and actually say to God, God, I have a need. Would you give this to me? Would you do this for me? Would you minister to me? I, I need you. All he wants you to hear is, I need you. I need you. I want you. In my heart, my life, would you come and do that? He has it amply supplied. And he says, I'll give to you that gold refined by fire. I'll give you the white garments. I got them for you. And I give you the eye set to help you see. I've got everything for you. It's here. If you'll simply come. Then he gives one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. And it is an invitation by Jesus. Many people use this Revelation 3.20 passage as a part of the presentation of the gospel of inviting people to come to Jesus. But that's not really, it's okay to use that, but it's not really what it's about. 
This is an invitation for a lukewarm church or lukewarm person to come back into a right fellowship with Jesus. You've heard these words before if you've heard much of the Bible. He says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You need to circle this word, if, these two words, if anyone, circle those two words. You know why? Because he's talking about individual people. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. In King James, it says, sup with him and him with me. Now, there's the picture. Jesus says that he's standing at the door and he's knocking. You know what that door is that he's knocking at? It's your heart's door. It's that that, uh, rulership room, the throne room of your life. Now, remember, he's he's not talking about somebody who's getting saved. He's talking about the church. The church has already got saved. Christians are already saved. So he's not saying, I want to knock on the door so that I'll come into your heart and save you. But what he's doing, he's saying, I'm coming to your throne room, and I'm going to knock on that door. Who's in charge? Because right now, you're in charge. (laughs) You're sitting on the throne. That's that pride. And because you're doing that pride, it makes you lukewarm. And so what I'm doing is I'm going to come and I'm going to, I'm knocking on that door, knocking on that door. And and it's your heart's door. And and you got to make a decision. Many of you probably have seen the the well-known painting of Jesus in the garden. Jesus there at the garden where he's knocking on the door. And whenever that that picture was first made, uh, they criticized the, the artist and said, the problem is Whenever you made that door, you didn't put a door handle on the outside. And the artist says, no, that's not a mistake. For see, that is the heart's door. And the only way for the heart's door to be open is from the inside. He can't open it from the outside. It has to be open from the inside. And therefore, Jesus stands at your heart and he knocks. And he not only knocks, he obviously Let's you know who it is, because look what he says. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, who's there? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Not not only did did his name mean it, but his voice you recognize, for it says that his sheep recognize his voice, right? And, And as I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear my voice, if you'll hear my voice then I will come in. I will come in. Now, that, that's a great thing. I'm glad that Jesus doesn't pout. Do you know what pouting is? Do I need to bring somebody up here and give an illustration of that? Pouting is, is usually, especially, uh, girls were usually really gifted in this. You, girls, God gave y'all special lips where whenever you're pouting, usually that bottom lip goes out a lot further. Like you can probably sit on it a lot of times. That lips is stick. My daughter was able to that pouting. They're very good. I, I'm glad Jesus doesn't pout. Aren't you? I mean, if you're pouting, what would happen is you'd uh, they'd open the door and you'd have to beg him to come in. You'd have to beg him, please come in. Please, I know you're upset. Please. Jesus says it that way. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He says, and if you'll open the door, he says, he will come in. That's a great Lord and Savior. That's a great God. 
When many times we deserve the pouting, we deserve somebody to resist it. He doesn't resist. He's willing to come in. If we will open the door. And notice, I told you to circle those words, anyone. See, this is a personal invitation to every Christian and not just to the church as a whole. Everybody in the church doesn't have to open their heart's door, but you can. You can. If you're lukewarm today, friend, it's because you've chosen to stay lukewarm. You can be hot for Christ in a lukewarm church. But if enough people get hot for Christ in a lukewarm church, the church won't stay lukewarm. It'll become. Thank you for those three. Let's try that one more time. If, if enough people got hot in a lukewarm church, the church would become. Man, y'all are smart. You're smart. But you individually can become hot for Christ and in love with Christ if nobody else does. If when he knocks on the door and you hear his voice, you open your door. You open your heart's door. No one can do that but you. I can't do it for you. If I could, I would. Your parents can't do it for you. Your children can't do it for you. Your friend can't do it for you. No one can open your heart's door except you. And why would you open the heart's door? Because you know it's Jesus knocking and you realize you need to let him in. Because see, when he comes in, he says, I will come in and I will dine with them and them with me. Really, a better word than dine is I will come in with all that they need. I will come in. I'm adequately equipped with everything they need so that we are going to fellowship together and I'm going to bring everything they need. Whatever it is, I've got it. All you have to do is open the heart's door and I'm coming in. I'm going to be there for you and minister to you. The word in the Greek language for this particular dining at this particular time was at nighttime. It was the last meal, the last meal that would be enjoyed before the next meal of morning. You get the picture? This is the last era of the church. The last era of the church and what Jesus is saying, listen, in the midst of this world that you're living in, I'm going to come and I'm going to give you everything you need to live in these dark days until morning comes. To live in these last days until I return. I'm going to provide you everything you need. See, my friend, no matter how difficult the world becomes, no matter how harsh it becomes, no matter how worldly everything turns, you can still have everything you need. To live that godly, on fire Christian life. You can do that. If what? If you will open up your heart's door. No one can do it but you. Now, let me show you one of the greatest promises in God's word. It's there in verse 11, or 21. It says, this is the words of Jesus. He who overcomes, I will grant to him... To sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Do you know what the promise of Jesus is to to us in our day? We're living in this layout of sin day. And this is what he said. For those who live in this day, if you will overcome, if you will open up your heart's door, if you'll let me come in and I'll minister to you, if you'll overcome the lukewarm state that most people are in and you'll become hot in your heart for Christ, this is my promise to you. For those who overcome, I'm going to let you sit on the throne with me. Get that picture in your mind. It's not that Jesus sit on the throne 
and that you're sitting on some other throne. It's not the picture that you're sitting on a throne and you would kneel before Jesus, which you could. This is what Jesus says. If you overcome, I'm going to scoot over. I'm going to scoot over on my throne. That's the throne of the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm going to scoot over my throne, and I'm going to let you sit with me. You're going to sit with me on my throne. What a privilege. To what? To those who have overcome. And and then he tells why. He tells why. He says, because... Just as my father let me sit on his throne because I overcame. Do you hear what Jesus said? When he talked about overcoming, he was saying this. He knows how difficult it is living in this sinful world. Jesus knows what it's like. He was the perfect son of God. But he came here and lived in this world. And when he lived in this world, he knows what temptation is. He encountered temptation far beyond what we could ever imagine. But listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, for we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. See, Jesus knows how difficult it is living in this sinful world. Jesus knows how difficult it is for lukewarmness to overcome his children. He knows what those temptations were like, and he was the perfect son of God, a holy seed. He can even empathize with us because we are not a holy seed. We have a sinful nature. And whenever he says that temptation comes and that lukewarmness tries to grab hold of them, boy, in their state, it's so easy to fall into that. It's so easy to be grasped by that. He understands that. So he says, If you overcome, and you have to, you can sit on my throne with me. I will have a place for you. Well, it also tells us, and John tells us this about overcoming. John 4, or John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcame the world, our faith. Our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? How do you overcome this world? How do you become an overcomer? How do you do it in a Laodicean age? How do you keep lukewarmness from overwhelming you? How do you do it because you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And whenever you hear him knocking on your heart's door and you hear his voice, because he is the son of God, your faith says, I will open up my heart's door and I will let the almighty son of God who has everything that I need, I will let him come in to my heart, to my life and bring what I need. And whenever you do that, you will overcome. You will overcome. Lukewarmness is a state that is difficult, yes, but it is not impossible. Because, see, the Son of Almighty God gives to you the ability to overcome as you put your faith and your trust in Him. Now, that's where we live. We are in the layout of sin age. If you want to just get around every, most believers, you want to get around most believers, and you want to feel comfortable with most believers, and sing kumbaya and all that stuff, you, you're going to be lukewarm. 
Because most believers in our era are lukewarm because that's the natural state to be in. But Jesus doesn't want us there. He wants us in love with Him. He wants a heart that's hot towards Him. He wants us to be willing to open up our heart's door and come in. And what a glorious promise that one day I'm going to get to sit on the throne with Jesus. Not because of who I am, but the fact that I believed in the Son of God who gave me the power to overcome and gave to me the victory, which is the faith I have in Him. Let's bind our hearts together and make commitments not to be lukewarm. Amen? Now, you don't have any excuse because he says, anyone, anyone, if you're one out of 500, anyone, one out of 1,000, anyone who will hear my knock, open up the door to my voice, I'm coming in and giving you everything you need. Let's hear the knock. Let's hear the voice. Let's open our hearts. Amen. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for your word. Friend, today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I invite you to Jesus. The most important decision you make is to give your heart to Christ right now. Because, see, that's, that determines your eternal destiny. You do not know, if you do not know where you will spend eternity, you need to come today and settle that issue. You need to talk with us and settle that issue because you do not know how long you will live. Today could be your last day. And you need to know right now where you're going to spend eternity. You need to come and get that right with Christ. Child of God, this message is to the church today. It's about us. Where are we? We know where we are. We know if we're lukewarm. We know whether or not we're in love with Jesus like we used to be. And we know why. Father, I pray that you will help us hear your voice and we'll respond. We'll hear the knock on our heart's door. We'll open up the door. We won't wait. We'll let you revive us, renew us, and help us to overcome that we can be on fire for Christ in a lukewarm era. Let us be different for Jesus' sake. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.